When I look at people who who start a company, who jump to entrepreneurship from, especially from a PhD or postdoc in biology, there are several qualities that uh, translate very well to entrepreneurship. So one of them is, you know how to learn, right? You know, read the fucking manual, right? You, you know, RTFM, like you always learn new things and you have to jump on new things and you're not afraid to learn. Second, you know how to design a scientific experiment, right? And learn from it. Like, and, and, and business is a lot of small scientific experiments you want to do really quickly to learn fast. But third, is you have to have grit. And in like in biology, you are used to failing like all the time, like soul crushing failures, like where you work for a week and then nothing happened. And then you look at like infinity of experiment and you say infinity minus one, and you go back <laughs> next day and you start a macro experiment. And you know that if you work extremely hard, you can do two experiments a week. You know, at least for me, like if I kill myself, I'll do two experiments a week. So infinity divided to two, you know, it will be slightly faster than infinity divided to you know, uh, one experiment per, per week, but uh, not by much. So, uh, so you, you know, people who at least finish their PhD or postdoc have, I know that they have the grit and optimism to, 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 to survive in, in entrepreneurship. So that translates very well. But there are a bunch of things that doesn't translate at all. And you need a lot of help when you're a, a PhD or postdoc starting a company. Hi there. Welcome back for another Macademia podcast episode. Myself, Oferizal Balnea and Elena Itzkovich get together with fascinating people to explore different ways science and scientific careers can be developed outside of academia. Before we introduce our guest for today, we want to thank you, yeah, you, that join our Macademia group on Facebook, follow our account at Macademia P on Twitter, rated our little project, liked our work, or shared it with a friend or colleague. This, aside from motivating us, support others to join this important conversation as we explore those very different ways of how science is much more than just academia. Omri had made the full circle from a postdoc to a scientific founder that built and sold the company to a larger organization. And today he supports scientists that are at the same position he was in his day one outside of academia. by investing in early stage tech bio companies. We will discuss his journey, the lessons he learned along the way, and of course, discuss how he can help scientists step into an exciting world of entrepreneurship in today's conversation. Hello, Marie, and hello, Lena. Hello. Hi, Marie. Great to have you here, Iofel. So, Marie, thank you for joining us. I think your, uh, your story and, and uh, the, the current uh, endeavor at NFX Bio are, are amazing and very of, of great interest to our listeners. So, I can, in a short, like, elevator pitch, I'm sure you have those uh, plenty. What is your story? Okay, let's, uh, let's start in the beginning, especially if our listeners are, uh, are postdocs or PhDs, uh, then I'll start in academia. So I did my first degree in hardcore biology, just you know, regular biology, and then my PhD in biochemistry in Tel Aviv University, uh, doing some crystallography, uh, the most binary of all sciences. 
Uh, luckily enough, in, in my PhD, it works, uh, worked out, and uh, we saw the structure of a higher plant photosystem one. A uh, beast, uh, 650 kilo Dalton uh, uh, beast. Uh, got the Fulbright Fellowship, came to Stanford back at uh, 2007. Actually lived in Berkeley because my wife did a postdoc in, in Berkeley and I commuted uh, an hour each day. But, but back then it was an hour each, uh, each direction. Now I oh, think it's, uh, it's longer. <laughs> um, actually, looking back, I think those, uh, that, that commute when I listened to you know, podcasts on entrepreneurship and technology was more useful than four years uh, pipetting in the lab, but uh, we can talk about it later. Um, I was a postdoc at the Axel Bunges lab at the medical school for four years at Stanford. Um, yeah, and after after I finished my uh, my postdoc, my wife got a position back in Israel. I moved back to Israel, started a company called Genome Compiler uh, with three co-founders uh, uh, from Israel, from uh, Intel. Uh, that was uh, a company building software for bioengineers. Uh, so I ran it for five and a half years uh, raised six million dollars, and we were about sixteen people when we got acquired. Uh, also, along the way, here and gained like uh, forty pounds because the running company is, is not fun, uh, no matter what people tell you. Very gratifying, but not very fun. Uh, we were lucky enough back in April 2016 to be acquired by Twist Bioscience, uh, the DNA synthesis company. Uh, the acquisition itself, the number wasn't amazing, but uh, the acquisition itself, we were smart enough to do it uh, all in stock. And Twist back then was worth $300 million. And it went all the way up to $10 billion. Uh, wow. So uh, most of the upside came uh, uh, with the ride with Twist, which is an amazing company. Uh, after Twist acquired us, I, I, I became the head of co uh, for Twist. I moved back to San Francisco for two and a half years. And again, because of my wife, she got there. So I moved, because uh, she was a professor in Israel, I moved with my two boys by myself for six months. And then she joined for maternity leave and then for sabbatical. And then when she got tenure, we had to go back because there is one way you can use your tenure if you don't go, if you don't go to work at all. So, uh, so we moved back to Israel and I had to leave Twist. And, uh, and then uh, uh, NFX, which invested in my company, uh, uh, a genome compiler invested in, in Twist when they acquired us, and then when I was at Twist, and I can uh, happy to talk about that. Uh, during my time at Twist, we actually I introduced them to the team that became Mammoth Bioscience. So we did my bio, uh, Mammoth Biosciences together, a great company which I'm still uh, uh, going to board meetings and very much involved. Uh, and then when I came back to Israel, the Gigi, one of the partners of NFX, offered me to start a small fund and actually gave me a third of the fund. Uh, uh, it was a $10 million fund. So I started TechBio, a $10 million fund that did the uh, pre-seed investment and in the intersection of biology and technology. So taking really raw uh, teams out of academia, investing in them and helping, helping them start companies. And that was a great experience. Uh, did it with my with Gita Reinis, my my principal, for for two and a, a little bit more than two years. And by the end of the fund, uh, we had several options. Two two of my LPs, two of my investors in the fund, wanted me to join them, and I could also start fund two. But again, I knew the NFX people for years and years. I really liked them, and uh, I decided to join them and start NFX Bio. So currently, I'm investing via their 275 million fund two, doing check size of call it up to four million dollar at the seed stage, and mm -hmm. reserving a lot more money for follow up. And we're about to raise uh, fund three and, and and do more. So that's a story on uh, the quick story. 
Incredible. That, that is very quick and in so many details. Really, <laughs> and I hope we have enough time and uh, uh, that we can touch up, touch upon every one of them. I want to now go back to the to the first position. So you you did a very successful PhD at Tel Aviv University um, and and published and it was then obvious to you that you do a postdoc in order to come back to academia. Yeah, it's funny, you know. Um... If you talk to a bioengineering student in Stanford today, you know, I think they did a survey and more than 70% uh, want to start companies or go to industry. But, you know, when I was uh, doing my first degree in PhD, Tel Aviv, you know, the training was, can I be blunt here? I don't know, you know, uh, everybody's oh, yeah. 18 and above, right? You know? <laughs> Absolutely. So it was like, you're either going to be a PI or you're a freaking loser. Like uh, and the, the losers go to industry. The industry nobody know what it is. And in Israel, there is there isn't any great industry. If you industry after your first degree or second degree, you become like a low paying, low wage, you know, almost minimum wage uh, something in Teva or something. But there isn't really industry at least back then. So, and I, and, I, and I really like science. I still love science. I think science and technology are the most important things. You know, human ever invent. The only thing that improve our. our standard of living and um and i love being a scientist like uh, for a long time i can tell you the exact time and like I, i can still so vividly remember the exact moment when i said i can't do it anymore and it was so so like before that moment i was like i can't be I, i can't believe they pay me to do this work and after this moment like, i can't do it anymore it was very shark and i it, oh, very it, it happened I'll, i'll talk about that it happened in my postdoc but uh, During my PhD, I, know, I love science. It was obvious to me I want to do a postdoc. Uh, I came to a very good lab, and also my, my wife was a PhD doing her postdoc. We, we flew together after we got married to do our postdoc. It was all very romantic. Um, yeah, so, you know, it took me three years at Stanford, which is a very entrepreneurial place, to realize that starting a company, it's even an option. Like, it, it, I didn't even consider it as an option. You know, if you talk to software engineers, you know, they know, like, they don't even need to have a first degree. <laughs> like, everybody's yeah. accepting the, expecting them to start a company. In biology, it's very different culture. And uh, it's changing, I'm happy to say. But uh, back then, I had no idea. And I'm an entrepreneurial guy. I didn't know that. But uh, I think after three years at Stanford, I just started to realize that, hey, it's an option. And, and, and you know how you realize that? Where... When a guy in the lab next door, and I was lucky enough to be next to Steve's Quake Lab, which is very top of the world lab that started the company, mm -hmm. I had a friend there, and like, he started the company. And I'm like, if he can do it, maybe I can do it too, you know? So I think that's part of the network effect of starting companies. You know, when you can see more people like you starting companies, you realize, oh, you know, something can be done. And, and you want the story of, uh, <laughs> of the... So I... I worked on uh, trying to crystallize membrane proteins, uh, you know, very hard projects are very hard pro uh, protein to purify and crystallize. It's, it's, it's terrible. So part of the purification process, uh, I don't get into details, but you have to clean them in columns. And some of the columns, if you increase the pressure, they destroy the columns. So mm -hmm. it was in the middle of the night. <laughs> it was not in the middle, it was in the evening. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I had like 200 ml of like sludge. I had to go through a column. And the pressure went up, so I had to reduce the, the speed to like 0.1 ml per minute. And I look and I calculate, this is going to take me all night. All night. And, and the worst part is I knew this experiment would not work. Like I knew it would not work. Like I had a gut feeling it would not work. So I'm sitting there 
in the middle of the night. <laughs> I see, like, it's, it's so vivid. Like, and you can see like the drops started to form in the end of the column, like growing so ever so slowly, like growing, 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 and plop, falling down to the tube. <laughs> and we didn't even have the automatic tube collection, so I have to be there to collect the pick. <laughs> And I, I just, I, I felt my life just draining <laughs> one <laughs> drop after the, after the hour. It was, it was so vivid. The day after I told my professor, like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm not doing that anymore. Oh, my God. Did you leave just then? Or how long did it no, take no, you to no. leave? Actually, my professor was very cool. Uh, Axel Burger is, you know, one of the nicest people around. And uh, I promised him I'll, I'll finish everything. I, I told him I'll finish. And he allowed me to transition to my startup at the end of my postdoc which was very generous because if he hadn't done that, I had to leave immediately, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the visa and everything else. Yeah. So, yeah. So my question on, on those, I completely relate by the way to this moment. Uh, <laughs> I, I have this moment, I had this moment during lockdown when I did a protocol for a huge protocol for uh, uh, preparing libraries for next generation sequencing. And you spin this down and you hope to see the pellet, very small nuclei pellet at the, at the bottom of the tube, very, very small and you see nothing and it's 3 a.m. and you say, crap, that's like four days and I have one more day. What do I do? I just throw it and go to sleep. No, I push forward another day. And of course it didn't work. And yeah, that, that's my breaking moment. But, but I have to tell you something, it's very important. When I look at people who, who start a company, who jump to entrepreneurship from, especially from a PhD or postdoc in biology, there are several qualities that uh, translate very well to entrepreneurship. So one of them is, you know how to learn, right? You know, read the fucking manual, right? You, you know, RTFM, like you always learn new things and you have to jump on new things and you're not afraid to learn. Second, you know how to design a scientific experiment, right? And learn from it. Like, and, and, and business is a lot of small scientific experiments you want to do really quickly to learn fast. But third, relating to our story, is you have to have grit. And in like in biology, you are used to failing like all the time, like, soul crushing failures like where you work for a week and then nothing happened and then you look at like infinity of experiment and you say infinity minus one and you go back <laughs> and next day and you start another experiment and you know that if you work extremely hard you can do two experiments a week you know at least for me like if i kill myself i'll do two experiments a week so infinity divided to two you know it would be it's slightly faster than infinity divided to you know, uh, you know, one experiment per, per week, but uh, not by much. So, uh, so you, you know, people who at least finish their PhD or postdoc have, I know that they have the grit and optimism to, 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 to survive in, in entrepreneurship. So that translates very well, but there are a bunch of things that doesn't translate at all. And you need a lot of help when you're a, a PhD or postdoc starting a company, because most likely you don't know how to manage people. And you don't know anything about business, most likely. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk. Oh, I have so many it actually leads to, to to our next question: is sort of how did you start your company? So you finished up, you're towards at the end of your postdoc. You realize you're not going to continue the academic route, uh, but you didn't, or did you study um, sort of how to make a business? Um, so except of sort of seeing other people success ar succeed around you and being in this sort of uh, Stanford Silicon Valley environment. Um, what did prepare you to start your company? Yeah, good, good question. So, well, it has a lot of answers, but I think for me, like uh, we tried to build 
uh, Genome Compiler was based on my experience of working for almost 10 years in molecular biology and biochemistry and, and just seeing the price of uh, writing DNA going down really quickly. So not reading DNA, but writing, not you know, sequencing, but synthesis. And, you know, when, when I was back in Tel Aviv, you know, PCR primers were like very expensive. And when I came to Stanford, I was at a very, you know, wealthy lab. So uh, Axel is a Howard Hughes investigator. He has a, you know, a bunch of money. So, so back then, I think if you want to order DNA, when I just came, it was like $10 base pair. Uh, my, you know, after a few years, it became like $4 or $3 a base pair. It's still very expensive. If you want a gene, it was like three, four $4,000. But we could afford it for some things. And... You know, if you want to mutate every amino acid in a protein, try to do it with PCR. It's like impossible. <laughs> like you mm-hmm. wouldn't try to do it. Like, but if you if you wanted to just order it, you just write it on the computer, a you know, the ADGNC and press print and send it. So, so I had the visceral feeling that when the price will fall down, everybody will start ordering DNA, and then they'll need, you know, something better than Excel spreadsheet or Word to 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 design the construct and especially in the context of whole genomes. That's why you call it genome compiler, which is a crappy name, <laughs> by the way. It's, it's <laughs> such a Israeli crappy name, you know. Um I have a lot to say about naming a company also. But um so so that was the, the, the feeling and I was very excited about you know about by biology and, and everything else. So actually it, it started when my wife was interviewing in Israel for her academic job, so I flew with her. And one of my friends was at uh, Intel at the time, and very entrepreneurial guy. He's now also a VC in Israel, Roy Ramon. So I told him about like what I'm seeing and what I want to do and stuff like that. So he introduced me to three of his friends uh, that became my three co-founders. So uh, you get Roy and Nir and. Uh, and just in his house one day, I plugged my computer to to the TV and just talked like about what I'm seeing and what I want to build, like my like my vision. They got excited because biology is exciting. And when I flew back to Palo Alto, you know, we had this night session when I when I would give them like my vision and my product vision, and then Neil would take my my stupid uh, words and turn them into into product notes, and and Roy and Yogev were coding them, and we build this prototype and using this prototype we were able to raise the first money and uh, start the company and uh, yeah it was uh, definitely quite a you ride learned from them actually the first the first money i raised to the company was fifty thousand dollars from a friend that raised I had, I had one friend that started a company in the past when we were in uh, he he was uh, the husband of one of my wife uh, friends from her lab uh, so he raised about $50 million from Sequoia to build this uh, solar, uh, um, solar cell uh, company. Uh, so Sequoia, it was secret at the time, but now it's uh, pretty uh, open, had a scout program where they let their, C- their CEO to invest some money for, for them. Mm-hmm. So he were able to, to write me a small $50,000 check. By then it was what, huge. We have some money. We can you know, pay lawyers and we can do stuff. And then... Wow, I, I remember because we were, we were about to, we had to leave the US, like our visa ran out and, you know, I was pitching people there and we had to raise money and we, then we got this, this really nice couple, really angels that, uh, from LA that gave us half a million dollar check like the day I left. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Fantastic. 
Yeah, and also, well, I have a story to tell you. Like, uh, we had a chairman, a guy I met in Silicon Valley that later stole some money from us and uh, we had to fire him. It was a cr- cr- crazy story. So, so one of our early investors was Autodesk because we built design tools like Autodesk. And ba- back then, Autodesk was interested in, in bio. And, and one of the stories, like, we got a term sheet from them for a million dollars. And that guy, you know, he just deleted the one. You turn it, uh, you delete one, add add two, so and send them the doc back as two, and they didn't notice, and it's a million dollars. And 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 you know it's so funny because by, by by the end of the company, we needed every cent to survive long enough to 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 get acquired. Ah, what a story! And and actually, they fired the the corporate guy that did the deal with us later because of that mistake. <laughs> It worked out and actually the stock, I think uh, if, if they kept it long enough, you know, they made money. Mm-hmm. So how, how does the, your, your, your first speech vision that you said you uh, did in the, in your friend's living room, how did this uh, translate it into Gino Compiler first general objective? Uh, the first objective. Well, again, so the idea was, you know, via sequencing we're moving to the world where we have more and more genetic data um, and because of synthesis we can now just you know press print and you know send it to different synthesis partners and what you don't have is again if you do a lot of uh, genetic design usually you work at the uh, ones and zeros like you work with a p g and c like that's how you work like a a whatever and the way computer coding is done is a higher abstraction layers and what we built was uh, was a tool where you can load the entire genome. And, and like, I, I tried to do it with the other software. I couldn't do it. Like no other software you could load the entire genome without crashing or being very slow. So we built a software from the ground out to be able to load like entire genomes, like whole viruses, whole bacteria, whole chromosomes, and, and then annotate that. And, and actually you could zoom in and out. You can zoom all the way to the DNA, but you can zoom out to the parts layer and just drag and drop them. So you can have two mm-hmm. projects, two open projects and say, okay, I want this gene, drag and drop. I want to take these parts from here and there. And we had a library of parts, like promoters, terminus, whatever. You could just mm-hmm. play like Lego, just drag and drop parts and the DNA, the backend will be built. And then we build tools like compilation where you have a lot of uh, compilation errors. Like, you know, if you, if, uh, a uh, part that was designed as a gene wasn't divided by three and you had like a stop code in the middle. So it will tell you, hey, there's a problem and the problem is here mm-hmm. and direct it to where the problem is so you can co- compile it before you print it. So we built a lot of stuff that nobody wanted. Because, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, because I was, I was like the future-facing geek, science fiction-loving, you know, a consumer of that product. But mm-hmm. nobody else, because again, the synthesis was so expensive even back then that most labs just did PCR-based cloning, and, and the thing they it's wanted from software—no, <laughs> the thing they wanted from software were like, okay, if I use this restriction enzyme, how would the J would look like? Which mm-hmm. you know, I hated building that feature. It's so stupid. You just <laughs> sequence it. Like, why, why, why should I build this feature? Or you know, designing primers, you know, for different concepts. In the end, we built that because that's what people needed, and, and we got more users, and we got you know more usage. Uh, and actually, I have to say, there's something really, really emotional. It was like I, you know, there was a paper published, like I think a few weeks ago, that uh, somebody used CRISPR to remove uh, HIV from living cells. You know, to to mm-hmm. and, uh, the, the attempt in the future to cure HIV and other viral mm-hmm. infections that get into the genome. And the use of because after the acquisition, we kept the software free online. And it's still there because we support that. And he thanked us uh, for doing uh-huh. that. 
and we use our software. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, goes you know? back to the real impact, right? We, we, we talk about it once in a while is that we all go into academia because we want to save the world and we want to do something really great for the world. But we actually can do a lot of great things for the world in, in biotech outside of academia. Yeah, and I think, I think, I think the best labs does both. So I'm lucky enough to, to be involved with Mammoth Bioscience with uh, Jennifer Donda. And, and like, I see it, like the best lab, and we have lab like, like hers in Israel. No, well, not like hers, but <laughs> similar idea, like, you know, Avi Schumer, a bunch of professors that do amazing basic science, but mm -hmm. also starts company. And I think it's so great because not all postdoc, you know, can find academic jobs and not, not everybody should. And yeah. And the, the interplay of like some of the things will go all the way to the bench or to, or to, to, just, you know, to cure people or feed people or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you have postdocs that do that. And then some of the money goes back as sponsored research and other things to the lab and enable the, the basic science to flourish. So the, the interplay is, is really great. And, and I think help both sides of the table, both the, the starting a company side and just doing great basic science. And I think if you're too dogmatic about one or the other, it's a problem. Yeah, I think you, you said in the beginning that, what, you know, when you were doing your PhD, if you're not continuing the academic route, you're a failure. And, you know, you would expect that by now that would change, but, and it has to some extent, but not, not complete. Like we're very far from, from changing that completely. Um, in different very, places. So there are like different uh, uh, ecosystems, I think in Boston, like around Candle Square, in the Bay Area, Berkeley. There are some places where people get it and are yeah. getting more entrepreneurial, yeah. and that's also changed the way they get uh, the, the investment uh, around it. And uh, you know, this is you know where we should uh, talk about. But in Israel, I don't see it yet. And one of the things we're trying to do, for example, in Israel, is uh, to talk to professors, to talk to students, and just you know give them an example, like you can do it. In yeah. in the US, in the Bay Area, some of our peer uh, uh, VCs are doing like a PhD to founder series, where you know they bring. PhD turns founder to a room full of postdoc and PhD and tell them like their story because you know you want to, you want to see how how it's done and all the information is out there like yeah. there is no reason like if you want to know how to start a company there are podcasts and books and everything you can learn all the lingo and everything you need to know. Yeah. So you think maybe the the academic institute that trains the PhD should be more uh, engaged in, in training them to non-academic careers? <laughs> or or I can rephrase it in another question. What would you import that you were missing or found to have at Stanford that you would wish the great innovation done in Israel University would have? Yeah, I'm smiling because it's so funny. You know, you'd think academia trained you for, for things, but academia doesn't train you for anything. <laughs> My wife is a professor. Nothing she did in her PhD or postdoc trained her to write grants, to manage people, to to teach. You know, you do so many things that nobody trained you for in academia, <laughs> and they definitely don't train you to 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 be in industry. So it's so funny. It's a good place to do basic science, which is very important. You know, somebody has to do basic science. But uh, yeah, sometimes I'm frustrated uh, with uh, with academia. You know. It, uh, you know, the, the, so, the lack of training is, and, and for me, you know, part of it was uh, driven by peers, not by the academia. So, for example, in, in Stanford, we have, uh, we had a postdoc group called AIMS uh, that was uh, uh, for people who want to do something in academia. And we just had, and again, you're in Stanford, so you're close to all the VCs, you're close to all the, you know, 
they are coming to you. So it's easy to get like VC to talk to you. It's easy to get like amazing people from the engineering department, from the business school and to get the insights. Uh, and not every university has that, but, but it's more and more it's happening. Like uh, Tel Aviv has a fund, Tel Aviv University has a fund to support uh, uh, companies. Bar Ilan just started an amazing unbox uh, uh, project uh, well, they also help with IP. So they streamline how to get the IP out of university, which is a very important. Like a startup teach them. in a box? Yeah, something like that. And also teach them like, you know, how to start a company. It's a whole course about how to start a company. And really, have, we just invest in the company coming out of Unbox. Um, you know, you have Petri out of uh, the Boston area. Uh, you have IndieBio and YC in, in, in the Bay Area and QB3 and NBC. You have a bunch of stuff that really sprang out recently to help... Uh, start new companies uh, in biotech, yeah. What are now the gaps that uh, the scientific founders are coming with and and you think could be alleviated and and make maybe make your your life as an investor a bit easier? A bunch. Again, I don't want it from the strength. And I think the main strength and the reason why we want to support scientist founders is that, you know, they care the most. Like it's their research. In the best case, where the, they actually invent the, the, the technology, they know it. Like, and, and they have a really good gut feeling to where it can go, mm-hmm. and they care. Like, you know, we use this expensive law firm in my company, and I found a mistake in like a thousand dollar an hour lawyer because he didn't care. I was like a small potato for him, and for me, it was like the deal I had to sign. So, I, 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 I think caring is very important. And that's what we want in our funders. We don't want them to optimize for salary and vacation t- times. They're not employees. You know, we want them to, to optimize for the success of this entire big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so the caring and all the other thing I told you that uh, uh, PG and Postdoc bring to the table is very important. And the rest of it, you can learn. Like if you know how to do NGS, you can learn how to manage people. You can learn how to do some accounting or some legal or anything else you need to learn, right? You know, it's, it's not... It's not rocket science. <laughs> I think know, it's, it's amazing because you you sort of, you say you bring the scientists and you want them to be the founders. I think that sort of contradicts some other, at least incubators I've heard about, that they want the science, but they want to bring their own CEO or their own sort of someone that will sort of has experience and can build it up. But you're something, saying something completely else, right? Yeah, because again, I believe in the power of caring. Now, those people need a lot of support especially in the business side. So, you know, some of the best uh, PhD founders I know, for example, Trevor Martin from, from Mammoth and others, they have a very strong board. They have a very strong uh, chief business officer, uh, mm-hmm. chief operating officer. So so they need to understand their strengths and weaknesses and, and complement them. Again, as a CEO, your role is to make the company successful. You don't have to do everything. And every person has a weak spot. And, and the idea is not, trying to be better at your weak spot. You know, you should try, try to be good enough not to destroy yourself. But, you know, it doesn't matter if you, if you hire somebody who is great at that weak spot and can make the entire thing great, nobody cares. <laughs> Seriously. If you're a $10 billion dollar co- company, nobody cares if you don't know, you know, how to manage people or whatever. You, <laughs> most likely you learn enough to, to not suck at it and then you find great people to compliment you. Okay, so let's say I have an idea. Or I have a good publication on the way, not yet published, because we, we have to emphasize the, the difference between public and IP. Yeah. Um, how, does, how does the process look like? Do I, yeah. when, do I, when do you see most like 
the optimal point for, for me as a scientist to approach you? Do you scout for nice technologies in universities? How does yeah. it work? I'm going to give a long answer, so bear with me. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, the short answer is, I think, especially in biology, you want to do the R. So in R&D, you want to do the research because in biology, research could take a month or could take forever. Yeah, like, you know, you don't know. So, so you want to start when you when you have something that you can publish before publication or after publication doesn't matter. But something that you know that the basic biology works. I give you an example again. I'm sorry, I'm going to mammoth all the time. But when mammoth started, you know, uh, Jennifer showed that Cas12 and Cas13 can be used for diagnostic. I think back then it was only Cas12, and she showed in the paper it wasn't a product. It wasn't even close to be a product. But you know, the biology works. Like, so you want to start there. You don't want to start where you have a re- huge like research risk. Like, does the basic thing actually work? It can be very far away, especially in therapeutics or diagnostic form of product. That's fine, but you know, at least it should be, should be able to work. Now, let me turn the table a little bit and tell you how investor thinks, because that's the biggest barrier I had being a, a PG turning uh, operator. I didn't know how investor thinks. And it's so funny, I'm looking back, I had like 148 different pitch decks for my company and they all look stupid. <laughs> because I, you know, because I was a, I was a, I was a postdoc and like I was into my technology and I talked about the technology and like uh, in details, uh, nobody cares. So I, I, I turn table, you need to understand how investor things and then I can I can and that will relate to when you should start a company and again you don't have to find investors for all companies or whatever you don't have to go to BCs for most companies but but for the world we are playing in so you start by the incentives because because you always get what you incentivize right that's just a basic rule in life so I'm going to divide the investing world into two buckets there are people who invest their own money angel investors big angel investors billionaires whatever Mm-hmm. And they are institutional investors that invest other people's money. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's two different buckets. And in, in seed, in pre-seed angel round, sometimes you only talk to the first bucket. And it's very different because if you invest your own money and you make money, you gain everything back. Great. And those investors, a lot of the time, invest in things they find cool or interesting or socially important for them, or somebody in their family had this specific cancer or whatever, you know. So it's a different incentive. Let's talk about VC investing or, or, you know, not just venture, but, you know, all the institutional investors. They invest somebody else's money. And usually the model is they raise a fund, a limited partnership fund, and they get compensated in two ways. They get management fees, uh, usually anywhere between 1% to 3% uh, each year. So if it's a $100 million fund, let's call it 2%. You get $2 million every year, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to find business and uh, have parties. And, you know, enjoy yourself. And if you return the entire $100 million fund, then for every dollar you make your investor, you get carry. And carry is anywhere between 10 to 30% plus months, depending. So let's call it 20. So for, you know, every dollar ex- after the $100 million or with a hurdle rate or with whatever, you know, 80 cents go to the investor, 20 goes to the to the. Uh, uh, general partner to the VC. Uh, so we need to return the entire fund before we see the really interesting money, right? Um, and the distribution of uh, of company success is not this nice Gaussian distribution where some companies are doing really well, some companies are doing really poorly, but most companies are somewhere in the middle. No, no, it's a very, 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 very sharp power law. Mm-hmm. Most companies do nothing, especially for you as a fund, 
And then the very, very few companies do amazingly well. Yeah. Right. So that's how it works. So, and we're going to bet 10, 20, 30 companies each fund out of their own model. And we, the entire game is like, we need at least two of those companies, definitely one, but we need to, you know, usually two or three of these companies to be one of these you know, very special companies. And it's like a game, it's like a test you're taking where if you get anything up to 25, 95%, you know, on the test, mm-hmm. it's still crap. Like, <laughs> and, even, and even 98% is like a bad return. Only like 99.9 is like a good return. Yeah. It's really bad. It's it's really that's that's the numbers. It's it's not very easy. So so we need every investment we make to have the, op- the option to become one of those huge companies. So how do we know? And let me talk about the early stage because that's what I do. I do pre-seed, seed, and maybe small A's. But in the early stage, we ask three questions, which and they are all the same question. The question is: Are you the company who can return ten times my fund? Mm-hmm. Right. And that tells you something about how much money you raise from each fund because. In general, you know, funds ask for, I don't know, anywhere between 10 to 30% of the company. They get diluted. They get left in the end, let's call it 10%. So if I'm a $10 million fund, I need to be at least a $100 million exit so mm-hmm. I can get my fund back. Not get, not make money, just to get yeah. my fund back. Mm-hmm. If I'm a $100 million fund, I need a, ten, a billion dollar exit, those unicorns that you hear about. If I'm a billion dollar fund, I need you to be a $10 billion exit, right? Mm-hmm. That's, so that's really hard, right? So... And, and by the way, the bigger the story is, because even the small fund want a $10 million exit. <laughs> That's how you make like this really impressive, uh, super uh, uh, fund returns, right? So the biggest, the bigger the story is, like the more, like the more dollar sign we see in our eyes looking at this company, the easiest will be for you to raise money, to hire partners, to to get good employees, to do everything. Right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to ask you three questions which are all how you're going to be 10 my fund. The first is, is it big enough? Let's say everything you tell me is true and works out. Mm-hmm. Is it still big enough? Because if you tell me you have this box that, you know, will make $10 million a year, if everything goes well, it's not big enough. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's the first thing. And some things are obviously big enough, like cure for cancer. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, energy. I don't know. But some things... Especially in the tool, in diagnostic, you really need to understand like how many people, who pays, like all these questions. So first, is it big enough? And by the way, that should be your, not the first slide, but the second slide. Like, mm-hmm. hello, you know, we're the company. How do you do? That's what we do. And this is why it's big enough. Because that will keep our eyes like, hmm, it's big enough. Mm-hmm. We should listen. The second point is, do you have magic? And this magic is protected. Now, this entire technology thing that we really care about, and that's what we do, and that's our passion. Mm-hmm. We don't care as investors. And like, I'm a geek, and I, I get it, and I read the papers, and I like geeking up about the science. But as investors, we just see it as magic. You have magic. We don't care. It's like a magic box that money goes in and more money comes from the other side. Like, you have a box. Like, is this really magic? Is this magic? Like, it's something that couldn't be done before, and now you can do it. Wow, it's magic. And you're the only one who can do it. You have IP, you have network effect, or whatever, because you don't want magic that uh, once people realize it's magic, they'll copy you. Because, you know, Peter Thiel said in a nice way, competition is for losers. You, you want a monopoly. Because <laughs> competition is great for consumers. I mean, the price are going down because people can compete. But try to try to negotiate with Illumina for a sequencer, you realize what a monopoly is. <laughs> you don't get the discount on so, so magic. Where would you go? You know, so so that's what you want. 
So magic without IP, but you have a great name to company. So if you come, as you said, like um, a, a mammoth is, has a, uh, originated from a great lab. Let's say it didn't have an IP on on cast uh, on on cast twelve then, but it comes from a great lab later to be a Nobelian. Is that enough? Is that or, oh, or a that's a, a huge red flag for you? I forgot the third thing. After you have magic that is protected, the last third thing, are you the right people to execute on that amazing thing? Awesome. To, to, <laughs> on all this magic, on this huge uh, uh, market to, to return our fund, to make us a lot of money. So that's our investor thing. So again, taking back to the postdoc from the lab, I would tell him, do you have magic? I would start with the magic because you would know better than I do. Like I can go to university and talk to a professor and I do that and I love to do that and try to figure out like magical thing in the early stage. But you live there every day. You know the professor. You know the good people. You know what's hot. Like, you know, the people who worked in on CRISPR, they knew it back in 2012, 2010 even. Like, they have an inkling, oh, this is great. Like, you know, so I would try to figure out if what you have is really magical. And, and don't show it so, like, it's so hard. Like, it's so hard. And you don't want to start a company, you know, that that will fail. It's not fun. I'm telling you, like, my company, we didn't find a business. Uh, um, business model it was hell for for three years it was like raising a hundred thousand dollars every month to survive a month knowing that i don't think we can make a business out of it i don't recommend it to anyone i used to have hair i don't have anymore it's not fun so don't go to this journey unless you really want to kind of change the world and you really understand like you and you really have something really magical and really differentiated otherwise it will be extremely hard everything will be hard if you don't have that so as a postdoc Try to understand if what you have is really magic. Don't lie to yourself. Like right now, if I want to, I can start a company and raise money easily if I want to. I don't want to. And you know what the biggest barrier for me? It's not raising money. It's persuading myself to do it again after I suffered. So I will only do it if I have something so magical and so big and so amazing and nobody else will do it. And I like grudgingly had to do it. I would come to a VC like, like, a, like a gangster, like to a meeting. Like this is an amazing market. I have this amazing magic. Nobody else will do it. I own it. And, and of course, you should give me money. You're stupid not to because, you know, I would not leave my, leave my cushy job if, if it wasn't that great. So you'll be lucky to put some money in. And that's kind of the demeanor <laughs> you want to have raising money, you know? So as, a, as an investor, how do you make sure it's real magic and not just, you know, powder in a box? That's a good question. I want to answer or offer a question yeah. for the IP. Again, it doesn't matter if you have Nobel laureate on your team. It, it helps, uh, especially in the early stage. But you have to have something you can protect. Now, some of the things we invested in was platform. That The platform itself was very hard to do, but not protected. Like other smart people that really understand the cutting-edge things in the world can do the same thing. But the output of that uh, platform the actual drugs or diagnostic or whatever could be protected very well. And then if you're early enough and you can capture those drugs more than before anybody else or those other products, then you have IP. So you can do that. You can tell that story. But again, we're not in the world of uh, software where, you know, it's very easy to copy Facebook. You know, everybody can copy Facebook. It will cost them like $100,000 to copy Facebook, but try to copy 3 billion users, you know, and all the, the network. So where you have network effects and think that, you know, even if you copy them, it doesn't work, or, or big you know, uh, advantages in scale, uh, etc. In biology, in our world, much in technology, it's about the IP, and you need to have solid IP. Um, and we do very quick uh, Ninja five days 
IP diligence on our companies because again, I like software. It's not about like if you, if you come to me with a software product, I believe you can build it. I believe you can build it. Like that's obvious. I don't I don't believe you potentially that people want that, but I believe you can build it in biology. You can tell me, hey, I have a cure, I have a cure for cancer. I'm like, great. <laughs> <laughs> Show me. You know. <laughs> I don't believe you have it. Like, I want to believe you have it. I wish. My dad died from cancer, but, you know, yeah, I, I, I want you to show it. And sorry, what was your question, Elena? It, it relates to it. It's sort of how do you make sure that it's real magic? So, Ah, yeah. So, again, some of it, you know, what we pride ourselves, both me, Gita, my principal, and, and Emily that, uh, that uh, works, uh, Emily LaFrost, the of Twist, you know, th- all three of us were scientists. So we get it, like, you know, we get the science, we understand the science, and we relate to the scientists, and we've been operators. So, you know, we run companies, so we really relate to those poor people who start companies. Uh, so we can look at a company with our experience, like, you know, and figure out pretty quickly. Uh, we do try to, we, you know, we are scientists, so we can read the papers, and we can talk to the professors, you know, we can do quick diligence to say, uh, IP diligence to say that what you think you have, you actually the IP actually said you have and protect you. Yeah. Uh, so we do that. And again, you have to realize in the early stage, unlike late stage where the company has product and revenue and everything else, if you look at spreadsheet, in early stage, it's a lot about kind of gut feeling, like is the team really exceptional? You know, is this something really groundbreaking? And I can give you an example of companies and, and mm-hmm. you can figure out why, why we, we thought that way. Yeah. And you might be wrong. And by the way, in, in, in VC world, you know, it doesn't matter how much you fail. It only matters the magnitude of your success. Because if you invest in like 20 companies that didn't return any money, but you have money in Coinbase that is going to be like a $200 billion company, nobody cares because your fund is like 100x and, you know, everybody's happy. Yeah. So it's all about your biggest magnitude. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, and it's funny. Like I, I tell uh, some of my uh, founders is... Uh, I have three kids uh, and uh, they have a kid's book they really like. It's uh, where's the poop? It's like, a, you know, it's like, a, you know, yeah, this, this random creature, poop, where's the poop? And it's a flat book. And you can say like, ah, oh, here's the poop. You know, they're very excited. And every company has some poop. And I like to tell founders, like, I like to know where's the poop. <laughs> like if I go to a pitch, I can smell the poop, but I don't see it. Like I'm, I'm, I don't like it. Like for some companies, like I invested in a company where they didn't have the IP yet. Like it was still belonged to the university and they didn't license it yet. And I took the risk like that they could, that they wouldn't license the, the, the IP. But I knew like all the team, the professor, everybody who worked on the project is starting the company. So what's the chances they won't get it? It took mm-hmm. seven months, but it happened. So, so we're willing to take risk. Like we know every company has poop. We know that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a lot about luck. Again, because when you think about if the returns are a strong power law, by definition, it means that every success, really successful, the company that really matters are unique. Mm-hmm. Like if I tell you the true story of Mammoth, which was when I made them affiliate diagnostic, there was nothing <laughs> almost <laughs> at the time they were affiliate diagnostic that told me they're going to be this huge Mammoth bastard. Nothing. And when I actually talked to my other partners, I'm talking, looking back, like I can't learn anything from that. <laughs> you know, there is there is nothing in that process that might make a lot of money for the fund and for me. There is nothing there that uh, would re- translate well to the next unique investment that I'll make. Uh, some of it will, I think, some of it. And the process was, you know, the process made sense because, you know, they had enough to raise one hundred forty uh, one hundred forty thousand dollars as pre-seed. Yeah. 
And then they got the IP from Jennifer Lab and they had enough to raise $2 million seed. And then, you know, you know, so it, it was gradual, but uh, it, it, you have to understand also it's a, it's a lot about luck and sometimes things doesn't work. Even if you do exactly what you said, like my friend that raised $50 million for a solo cell company, he did exactly what he said he did, but in this huge energy business, who knew that China will flood the market and will reduce the prices to nothing and he'll get screwed. So he got screwed not because he did something wrong, just because the world happened. And if you had a travel uh, company and it was... Uh, Last year, in the middle of COVID, <laughs> and you needed money, you might get school too, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, about luck also. So the, the second bucket you mentioned for investment, the institutional ones, okay? So they're massive operations, right? Not like angels. Uh, do, they, um, do they employ, like, postdoc and PhD to do this uh, scientific due diligence? Is that a good uh, training option, even as in, like... Uh, as an internship? Um, so first of all, they're not massive. You know, VC is very, it's not a ma- it's, it doesn't scale well. Uh, so it kind of scale linearly, linearly with the number of partners. Each partner can do X amount of deals and sit on X amount of boards. Um, yeah, so it doesn't really scale well and it's not huge. Even the Sequoia and Andreessen Horowitz are not huge. You know, it's 200 people maybe. It's not, it's not really huge. Um, do they hire postdoc and PG? Yes. Uh, a bunch of people I know that became investor worked at the Innovation Endeavors, at the Andresan, at Sequoia, like as an analyst or associate, like an entry level or just reviewing deals or just uh, uh, scouts where they get some carry, they get some nice uh, t-shirt, branded t-shirt and a mug and, uh, you know, and praises. <laughs> 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 and not a lot of carry, not a lot of salary, but you know they get a lot of respect and they get invited to cool stuff. But I think that the, the good thing about being around VCs, you you understand really quickly how VC thinks, and then it's easier for you to raise money. Also, you know they kind of know who you are, and then um, and then you know they like to invest in people they know and trust, obviously uh, mm-hmm. people they like. So I think it's good, though. Though I will tell you that the most important thing I think is not like do you know the VCs or do you have past experience or whatever is do you have the right magic so I would prefer to invest in, uh, in a guy I don't know that worked for 10 years in his lab and have something really magical that he built and he owns because he built that than this slick guy that you know knows the VC lingo and whatever and just finds something that he finds interesting but he doesn't care about it so much because he just found that it's not his own so yeah. Yeah. so so y- Getting into the, like your overview of of this the industry, okay, or pharma, biotech, those magic boxes you can put them into different uh, different um, fields: oncology, uh, uh, industrial enzymes, whatever. And uh, next age, ag tech, food tech, whatever. What is what is interesting right now? First of all, let's start with biology. You know, I, you know, biology is technology. And in my slide, sometimes uh, I stole it. Uh, you know, I stole I stole the slide from uh, Jason uh, um, from Ginkgo Bioworks, the CEO. So here's a slide where it's a desktop with a lot of technological things like a camera, a laptop, an iPad, whatever, a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. and, a, and a and a plant. 
almost died. <laughs> and he asked people like, what's the most advanced technology? And some people said, oh, the phone or the computer or whatever. And he said, no, it's a plant. <laughs> you know, biology is magical. It's technology, it's nanotechnology that works. It's the most advanced technology on earth. It's been around for 4 billion of years. It's, it seems like, like if an alien arc ship land, crash landed on earth and we were trying to understand how the gizmo work after it crashes and everybody died, that's, that's biology for me. It's like, it's magical. So let's start with that. It's, it's crazy magical. I'm I'm amazed it works. Like I have kids, and I'm like, how how can how, how do they work? Exactly. My experiment in the lab doesn't work, but they work. Like they work. Cold. Like I don't get it. <clears throat> It'll work. <laughs> how Everybody do you differentiate, no man? Work. How do you differentiate? No, no. So, and, and and then and then uh, I think we're moving from traditional biotech to what I call tech bio, and actually got the domain name tech that bio. I got it. <laughs> but, um, and for me, it's mainly driven by, you know, biology is getting digital. If you look at, we, we're digitizing biology with DNA sequencing, we're taking analog biological data and, and sensors and turning them into digital. With mm-hmm. synthesis, we can take this digital data and turn it back to analog, right? So it's getting digital. And because it's getting digital, the second thing is you can apply all this computational advancement, you know, machine learning, AI, whatever, to make sense of the data. <laughs> and I just got a pitch uh, a few days ago when somebody tried to push uh, a multiple sequence alignment as uh, AI. He told me, I'm do- we're doing AI. I said, what are you doing? He said, ah, oh, we're finding the sequence. You're doing multiple sequence alignment. You're doing class W, like, <laughs> you know, whatever. Anyhow, but, uh, and then, and then it's, uh, um, it's moving for people pipetting in the lab to automation at scale. High, precision automation and scale. I think one of the things is moving from bespoke, like artisanal kind of uh, biological work to more automation, more like repeated uh, process uh, in scale. Like, and you look at the uh, experiments people are doing now, like multiplexing and huge amount of data, like you can never do it before. And, and, the, and the great thing about our space is unlike software where, you know, people are optimizing ads or doing like whatever, like everything we do is either curing people like it's diagnostic or therapeutics or it's either feeding people argon and, and food or it's uh, you know something for the future of mankind like renewable chemicals or renewable energy or uh, you know waste disposal or whatever so it's all it's all good and, and it drives good people i think to the industry because you know they really care about the impact of what they're doing so it's it's combination of doing a lot of money by doing good things and you have to want both of them not just do good things or just do money. You, know, you want to have both of them to be successful, I think. I love it that you say it. My, my husband went to Harvard Business School and after uh, two years there, uh, people were going to work at Farmville or like, you know, they managed farm in a digital game and uh, and that's what they well, did. People after, are starving. Yeah, and like, this is what you do after, you know, Ivy League MBA. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. And I think it's very, it's it's great that we're finally at the age where the biotech and the tech bio, like all of these um, companies are growing and are much more sort of feasible. And and I hope that this will bring sort of all the seasonal business guys and, and girls sort of into that world, sort of to to bring up real businesses that, that really have great impact. And I see a lot of people from tech. Uh, you know, tech entrepreneurs, people that did cyber companies, other companies trying to, you know, want to go to biology for the impact. And, uh, and the joke is like, the joke is like, you know how you make a small fortune in bio? You start with a big fortune. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, but but it's good to see them. And, and, and because yeah. I also think tech bio companies, you know, 80% of running a company, no matter what company is the same. It's yeah. people, it's managing people, whatever. And then in, in, in tech bio, you have the tech part, 
so if you come from tech, you know the 10% of tech, and then you find a good bio partner and you can you can run a tech bio company. So they get it and and, and it drives also tech investors are getting bio curious and starting, you know, bio investing. Yeah. And there's a big uh, a cultural differentiation between like traditional pharma investors to tech bio investors. Happy to talk about that. It's a very interesting world. Uh, yeah. But it's not just bio, by the way. There are a lot of frontier tech, you know, fusion, quantum, space, whatever. A lot of cool things are happening right now. Okay. So how do you think, if, if, and if, if, if you think it's the, you have uh, on the investor side any um, influence on that, how do you get more minorities and, and gender equality on the CEO level, on the entrepreneur level? Yeah, so I'll start with the, well, it's not a minority, 50% of the human race, it's females, but I'm um, just looking at my, uh, my company list. So I have one, uh, two, three, four. So half of my companies have a female founder or CEO. And it's not uh, because it's not because I wanted that. Like, I didn't aim for that. It, it just happened. Um, and I think in bio, it's easier than tech. There are more women in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... There are still, again, the the walk people of the world might hang me for that. I still I still see some differences. Sometimes uh, a male CEO will come to me and like all bluster and like I'm going to take over the world, whatever, and like expect huge valuation, and everything. And and sometimes with the female founders I'm working with, they're like they will already do the work, and then they'll present what they've done instead of like coming with like we're going to conquer the world and everything and. Like, I don't know, I actually looked back. I think I got kind of better valuation from the female founder, which is not very fair, but it is what it is. But um, yeah, but but I like to, I love working with them. You know, I think, you know, they definitely more serious and more detailed oriented and what like. So again, I think in tech bio, you know, we don't, you know, with the half of you, the human population, we don't have an issue with other minorities. Look, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to change the world or, you know, whatever. I don't have any, so I'm not a social warrior here. Like, you know, we, we owe it to our uh, investors to make money, right? But, uh, and I'm trying to be non-sexist and non-racist. So I'm not looking at sex. So I'm not looking at race. Um, we see teams. We try to invest. I, I, I think it's important, though. One thing I did realize, I think it's important that on the investment side, it's important to have diversity because you miss stuff. Because everybody likes people like them or share their own problem. Like, for example, when we had a, a company coming with, you know, female you know, product design for females. And I didn't have, like, any instinct about that company. And my principal who said there, he said, like, yeah, I had my, you know, my sister, you know, had to have a, 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 a surgery to remove the uterus because of this issue. Like, it's a big issue. And, and I'm, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a uterus. I, I didn't realize. So, so you realize that a bunch of, like, so I think on the investment side, uh, it, it's, it is important to have diversity because you, I think you're missing a lot of good, good stuff if you, if you don't have it. If, and also, it's like human nature to kind of trust people that are like them. Like for me, I like Israeli more because I like I, I get them, like I understand how they think, like I can read them very well because I'm one of them. Uh, it's harder for me to to really understand people. Uh, I, I try to, like it's part of my job, but uh, it's just human nature. So having a diverse group in the investment side is, is really helpful. 
Yeah. I think it also, as you said, that women will present their company in a different way from men. And if you're aware to it in advance and you know that when you're sort of, eventually you'll compare, right? Eventually you'll have a few options and you'll compare what you invest in. And if you're aware that if the woman said something and sort of it's much more mature and it's sort of, the comparison is different. And if you're aware of it and, and experienced in it, then you'll, you'll spot it much better. And no one to just do you know, broad strokes. Like, of you know, every, everyone is different. But yeah. one of my best company, Nanokari out of uh, Barilan, the professor is a female. Her postdoc that uh, is now the head of uh, uh, R&D is, is female. And the CEO is female that uh, ran another big company. So one of my best companies. It's just great. So you mentioned your wife a lot. And obviously you're sort of, you've diverged from sort of doing together a postdoc now where she had sort of, you know, went to the academic route, you went to the business um, and now investment side. Do you, do you make comparisons? Look, some things look stupid to me, like review or two, <laughs> arguing and like, oh, they, I didn't get my paper because uh, they're a stupid review, they don't understand what we're doing and blah, blah, blah. But I, I'm not. I'm not joking. I'm just. It's, it's no. Hard, it's. But I, I'm no, like, can really, we all know in reviewer too. Yeah, right? I just sent <laughs> reviewer two comments today, yeah. this morning. And also, like, oh, I won fifty thousand dollar grant. I'm like, what's fifty thousand dollar? Like, a, that's a small angel investment. Like, you, you, <laughs> I write millions of dollars of checks. Like, are you, yeah. what, what are you talking about? Like, what is it? Like, it's not really money. And all this intrigue in academia about uh, pride and respect and uh, who's first on the article and who's last. Like, I think there are a bunch of things that business are just different because the incentives are different. Like in academia, you're incentivized to publish. Like in business, you're incentivized to make money. It's different incentives. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are things that like in industry, like the best looking labs ever are in industry. You need to go to Mammoth Biosciences. You look, even I went to Jennifer's daughter lab and you know, she has a perfectly good lab, right? right. But nothing to compare. Like I want a new tour. shiny machine. <laughs> beautiful desk like everything is new and perfect and like uh, and things are way faster and students like it's not like students that are you know rotating all the time they just learn how to do stuff and they left for the next uh, journey like people stay for longer they get motivated more because you can pay them more and give them uh, upside and people are really motivated they things are happening faster because you have a deadline and you have like real milestones you have to be way more focused on the on the on the other side, it's you know, I remember my postdoc very fondly. It's a it's a relaxed time. You can think outside the box. You can talk to people. You can go to different things. You can try different things. You don't have to be so focused. You can, so it, it's different. And and you need the basic science, so you won't have you know, uh, especially in bio, you won't have the technology most likely. But uh, it, it's a very different world. And I relate. You know, I've been there, so I so I understand the incentives and everything else. But uh, it's not like I think that like business is the end all and like all, all postdocs should do business and it's the best thing ever. It also has its issues. Yeah. But I think in but, but you can see you can see like an in-between organization, something that is is relating to the basic science with some connection to academia, uh, but works in standards that are more relating to, I, I, to I can tell you. I, I promised my wife that if we ever become super rich, uh, I'm going to like we use the money to so she would never have to write every any grant ever again. That's a dream for scientists, like not having to write grants. You, you understand yeah. that? Like you, yeah. you get it, you get yeah. it, right? You get it. Like, <laughs> 
No, I'll still, well, I will still write my, uh, my, a grant and I will review it myself <laughs> and I will grant myself the money just for the feeling of it. <laughs> Why? And again, as I told you in the, in the beginning, I think that like hybrid, organ, like hybrid labs do both business and basic science. I think, I think it really improves both sides because I think you can do better basic science when you understand like what people are interested at, like, uh, and also have access to like the, the, the technologies and the resources and the, like the best the equipment and like everything else that the industry have. And so I think it's like, it's a good interplay to do both. And, and if I was, uh, if I was a postdoc or PhD that wanted, like thought that starting a company is something that I might want to do, then I would definitely focus Uh, to go to one of those labs and you know which labs you know are you know Joel Church lab Steve's quake lab Jennifer Donda's lab you know you know who the people are not everybody knows us to start company but there are those people and I think the new generation starts more company I think it's also a generational kind of thing I see it in Israel a lot of the new faculty uh, are way more open to starting companies yeah we we interviewed in the first season Dvirara uh, now he's a lab he has his own lab coming out he came out from Stanford did a, a P, um, did a postdoc at Atul Butte uh, lab at UCSF and then went back to uh, the Technion to, to open a translation lab that he took this entire idea of, of you have to do basic science but it has to have an application at the end yeah and then um, I have to tell you something you know I, I, I talk a lot about how entrepreneurship is very hard and you, have, you know you have to be <laughs> very careful if you want to do it But on the other hand, and I, and I say that biology is the most advanced technology on Earth, so, so the second most advanced technology on Earth, in my mind, is entrepreneurship. And I'll tell you why. We as a human species didn't invent wormholes yet. Like, we don't know how to move from one universe to the next with magical wormholes. But somehow entrepreneurship, also social entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship seemed to me like the closest thing we have to this magic technology because you see the world as it should be. You're pissed off that the world isn't like it should be. And just using your tenacity and 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 greed and effort, you tell the this universe and create a wormhole to a different universe. <laughs> and you drag everybody else with you to that universe. <laughs> It's amazing when it works. Now sometimes yes. it doesn't work, but 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 uh, and I'm saying also for social entrepreneurship, I'm thinking people say, "Oh, we live in a world where uh, homosexuals cannot get married and they say, that that's stupid. We should live in that world. And just with sheer energy, they cause, cause that to happen. And it can go to the bad, you know, it can go to a good way or to a bad way, right? If you have like uh, bad intentions. But that's the power of like just human will and entrepreneurship. And uh, like, I love it. Like, yeah. The entrepreneurship, the combination of entrepreneurship and, and biology, I think it's, it's really fantastic. Amri, we want to be mindful of your time. Uh, as we said, we have... Um, Uh, mainly PhD and postdocs uh, listening and and some of them are, are thinking about a company is there something that you you want to add and sort of advise them um, where when they didn't do the sort of the transition yet yes again I'll, I'll, again I would start with the information is out there so if you want to learn more about uh, company forming entrepreneurship there are so many podcasts there are so many books venture deals whatever you can you, you can find the information very easily you can go to your business school and talk to people you can you can figure out who's a professional started started a company and just talk to his student and whatever like mm-hmm. people like to talk like mm-hmm. I think the first part of entrepreneurship is you just talk to people like you can talk to me like I'm very reachable mm-hmm. you know uh, I'm on LinkedIn you know you can get my email it's out there like You can reach people and you can talk to them and if you're saying something interesting and you have something you know 
people want to give back also. So it's a, it's a nice world in that regard. So just start, just talk, listen, learn, uh, find something magical. So find, hopefully it's your technology. But mm-hmm. if, you're, if your buddy in the next lab has some magic, don't, don't hesitate to, to, to help him out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, understand who you are, what you're good at, and what you're bad at. Uh, try to get better at what you're bad at, but don't, not too much. Like, I think people are trying to focus. I think, he, you know, I think LeBron should only play basketball. <laughs> there are some people <laughs> that, you know, are very productive and, and great at the one thing they do. So they should spend most of the time doing what they're great at. And don't feel bad that you're bad at other things. Try to improve them to a point they won't you know, screw with you, but but focus on the things that you're good at and find people to compliment you. Um, and then, you know, starting a company is... Like the playbook is out there. It's not complicated to create like a Delaware C Corp. It's not complicated to incorporate. It's not complicated to do founders agreement and to understand what the cup table is and how you share it and how you get IP out. Like the data is out there. There are people there to help you. If you're a science founder, focus on the magic. Try to find a business founder or if you're both a scientific founder, one of you should try to you know, be more of the selling person, like the person mm-hmm. who, because yeah, the CEO mainly sells, he sells shares, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. That's what he should, everywhere, even when the public is company, you always sell the, the vision and the, sh- and the share of the company. So to employees, to investors, to partners, to everything else. Um, so one of you, if you're, you know, the ex- extrovert or the, the kind of person mm-hmm. who like to sell and talk about the company and, uh, and, and, you know, get people excited, you know, maybe you should mm-hmm. be more of the business guy. Uh, find the people to compliment you, and then you know, go talk to me. <laughs> uh, but 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 not just me. You know, you know. I think one of the problems in bio, and uh, and we can talk a lot about the East Coast West Coast kind of bias. In the past, the professor didn't want to leave, and they should. By the way, I think they should. I think most professors should say academia and invent more cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's a postdoc and PhD that should start a company, not the professor. I think the professor mm-hmm. should be like the CSO once a day, a day a week, or whatever. With small amount of equity, by the way, and don't let them take too much. But, but, uh, but the, the the real true funders are people who work in the company twenty four seven. That's their life. That should be the postdoc or the PhD. I think they care more than anybody. They they are young enough. They they did the work. Um, yeah, find compliment people. You know, in the past there weren't a lot of investment opportunity in the early stage. Now there are way more. Universities will give you some grants and some money. Uh, you have a lot of accelerators. You can go to YC, you can go to IndieBio, you can go to Petri. Um, you can go to pre-seed funds to write like a half a million dollar check, a million dollar check. Uh, come to us, we write up to four million dollar checks and then uh, we help you. Like that's what we do. Like, yeah. well, what do you mean? Like, our main goal is not to hurt you. <laughs> By the way, we we did no seriously because do no harm. <laughs> do not exactly. I I tell my I tell my founders like my first goal is to do more because I had bad and good investors and I, I promise I will not be one of the bad investors. And if you if you make your mind quickly and you wire the money and you don't fuck with the with the with the with entrepreneur, you're already on the top 10% of investors. It's not that hard to be top 10. <laughs> make your own mind, wire the money, don't screw things up. <laughs> now, if you're helpful, where you're one of those unicorn top one percent investors, so and you need to know where you can help. Like for me, I can help by you know telling the story because if I know anything, seeing so many decks and so many stories, is what story resonates with investors and how to turn your story in the best way to resonate with investors. I can do that. I spend a lot of time more than the more than the entrepreneurs talking to a lot of early and late stage investors. 
so mm-hmm. I can help you get more money. Um, I ran a company, so I understand the you know the blocking and tackling of running a company. So I make sure that they don't give option to 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 employees before you set up like the the the, the ease of plan and whatever all this new share of you know managing how to do like because if you're if you're a postdoc you don't know how to do review you don't know how to review other people <laughs> like seriously you don't know how to like you don't know how to manage them you don't know how to do one on one like there are a bunch of things that I I just went through so I can help you with that and hopefully make your the culture in your company slightly better um. Yeah, that's where I try to help. So and mainly we see our value in taking something that is like just an idea or some basic thing, turning it into a real company where you don't take your brother, the, the lawyer from whatever. You take, you know, you do it everything right. The accounting, the legal, everything right so you don't screw yourself in the beginning. Because I mm-hmm. see so many th- things that in the beginning get screwed because they don't send the business. They get, uh, you know, some business guy that doesn't say anything, get 80% of the company for $2,000, $200,000 because whatever, and you don't have any. So many things can, can screw you over in the beginning. You want to do it the right way. Uh, because again, it's such a big power law. You want your company to, to be the best possible. I think the one thing in business, business doesn't have to be fair. Like I like football, like you can fill your entire rosters with pro balls and win every game. That's business. So you want to, you want to create a company which is totally unfair. Like it's unfair that you have all these great people and it's unfair that you have the IP that you have and it's unfair that the market's so great and you get all the money. It's unfair, but that's what we love. That's what you want. <laughs> and by the way, you know, you might kill people in the, the other side, you know. Yeah. So I, I have to say, to ask, so you talk a lot about sort of scientists coming out sort of directly from a PhD or a postdoc, you wouldn't go to have some experience like work at Mammoth or work at some more established biotech to see sort of how things work, you think? You should definitely go work in Mammoth if you're really good at hiring. <laughs> no, I, I think it, it's useful to get some uh, experience working in industry, mm-hmm. uh, get, ex- get, get experience with the, you know, how to collaborate in different ways, the way you work in industry. Uh, I think it's useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you learn something or you get an insight that can help you start a company around it. So that's another way to, to get the magic. Like if you work in two companies and you realize they all do the same stupid thing and it's a problem for those two companies, so maybe I'll solve that problem and it will be something that translates to many companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can definitely happen. And we, I think we invested in people that came from you know, not just from postdoc or PhD, you know, mm-hmm. but came from other companies. Uh, yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. Cool, Omri. That was <laughs> amazing. I have a lot more to say, but I think we're like, uh, it's, it's enough. For so now. we, yeah. we can, sch- we should schedule a sequel. Yeah, part two. Maybe you'll pitch me something. The more people know the, this content, the more companies will create and, you know, the more deal flow I have. But after that, in Israel, we're doing something where we're taking like PIs and PGs and and, uh, and uh, postdocs and we're training them a little bit on, on how to start a company. And then we're taking tech entrepreneurs and training them a little bit about what it means to do bio and then meshing them together. We call it Founders Plus. It's part of the Shmona uh, Abba, network in Israel. Yeah. Uh, and then help them with uh, the TTOs and with the innovation authority to start companies and with early stage investors like me to, to start more early stage companies. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Thank you for suggesting to share because you were, when you were saying at the beginning that, um, you know, 
it's sort of the cycle where people are not aware of 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 being able to sort of switch to and transition to industry, and then they hear about all the stories, and then they figure out that maybe maybe they can, maybe it's not so complicated, maybe not. That's that's an option, and uh, that's what we're trying to do to make people sort of listen a little bit and hear the stories. It's so funny. It reminds me when I used to be a TA for organic chemistry, and the student was somehow so afraid of organic chemistry. So the first thing I told them. Ah, it's so easy. Like if you just go to my, 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 my classes, you'll get a hundred. It's so easy. <laughs> and, and I think just a, just a mental switch that ah, it's not that complicated. It's like, you know, it's a, to read the fucking manual, right? LTFM, right? If, if you need to read the manual and you're not sure exactly how it works, you would delay. You would like, I don't know. I don't know what to do exactly. Somebody just tell you, ah, it's simple. Do A, B, C. It's like, oh, that's so simple. And <coughs> I think one of the, my biggest experiments, <coughs> my biggest exper- experiences and doing my postdoc is, you know, I was at Stanford. I was surrounded by smart people and nothing really seemed that hard. Like everything that seemed complicated, when you break it down to steps, nothing is complicated. You know, you go outside, you talk to your, to your mother or to somebody who doesn't understand science, say, oh, I did NGS and blah, 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 and blah, 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 and sequencing and synthesis and whatever, and the synthetic biology you say, wow, you must be so smart. No, it's all, it's simple, right? It's not that complicated. And I'm telling you, if that's not complicated for you, just if doing, if you, if you know how to do science, then I'm telling you, you know, <laughs> doing business is way less, you know, uh, hard, you know? There are a lot of people who made a lot of money with no PhD, with no postdoc, with no first degree. And like, you know, it means it's, it's, it's not as hard. <laughs> you, can, you can do it yourself. So first step, you can do it. You can get a hundred, you know, just, just listen to me. <laughs> Dr. Omri, friends. <laughs> Dr. Omri, you get a hundred. Yeah. Cool, guys. I'm Fantastic. Thank you so Thank much. You. Good night. Bye. <laughs>